in terms of branding, narrative and policy issues, we need to give the Democrats something to respond to rather than just attacking us and waiting for our response all the time. I think that's very well said. You know, I mean, there's and I think it's like you said, it's holding our own side accountable is the start of that. Like you said, if we if all of a sudden we trade in a Peter Meyer for an Audrey Johnson, like you said, the Democrats have to go. Well, we have a problem here in Michigan. We had a Republican that was technically a rhino, you know, a Republican in name only that we could kind of control. He was voting with us. It's like Adam Kissinger in, in Illinois, you know, guys that Scott Pressler is working on. I'm working on Michigan. Scott's working in play work. You know, there's different ones. We're all friends, but we're working in different parts of the country to try to get our country back and try to get, you know, get the House and the Senate back in 2022. And I think you just nailed, you summed it up right there. Um, give them something to worry about. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. I've been following you on uh, Twitter for some time now, and um, I just thought that you would be a really interesting person to have on. Um, uh, obviously, you're uh, an influencer sort of in the political space, and I just wanted to learn sort of more about your story, what you're up to, and and uh, see where it goes. Is that cool? Absolutely, man. No, I'd be honored. It'd be honored to speak with you. Awesome. So what's your scoop? What's your deal, man? <laughs> man, just, uh, you know, honestly, just, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, Focus on these midterms. That's kind of been my, my focus. We did a big event a uh, weekend before last. So I guess it's hard to believe it's been like eight or nine days, you know, since the Faith and Freedoms event in Dallas. And we had a, you know, a ton of speakers there from, uh, you know, myself and Pastor Brian Gibson, uh, Pastor Greg Locke, Pastor Mark Burns, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Craig Sawyer. Uh, it's just, you know, Joe Von Pulitzer. There was just a slew of people there. We had about 60 speakers. And, uh, and about 20 plus congressional and Senate candidates. So the real goal for me is to get people in place that are going to primary the rhinos, you know, that are going to go after uh, these people that haven't voted uh, towards what I consider to be, uh, you know, a conservative. You know, they uh, they're siding with the other tendencies and not siding with, you know, their constituents. And I think that's a real problem. We don't hold these people accountable. You know, we look at them, they go, oh, well, they got an R by their name. We'll just let it slide. Mm-hmm. And we don't hold them accountable. And I really think that's the real problem in D.C. Everyone wants to blame the left. I think the problem's in our own party. And until we clean our own house, I don't think we can even focus on fixing America, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And we can really see what's happened to um, the Democratic Party for failing to do their own house cleaning. They're, right. they're going through all sorts of hell right now between radical left versus, you know, that's an old school kind of traditional Democratic Party. I mean, the Democratic Party that we see today is completely different from, say, a Bill Clinton Democratic Party. Right, right. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that's that's the real issue that that we face. You know, you look at you know, there's certain guys like in Michigan, like Peter Meyer, uh, who voted to impeach President Trump. I'm backing a candidate up there named Audra Johnson. Uh, she's known as the MAGA bride. It's an interesting story. She wore a MAGA dress to her wedding. But the real interesting story for me with her is, you know, that's kind of how she got some notoriety. But the real story is, you know, she's a mom of four. Her husband is career military went full, full service in the Marines and the Army, which is unheard of, you know, to have, you know, full tours in both active duty, uh, went into both branches. So military bride, four, you know, four children. Um, she's in Michigan, you know, in that Grand Rapids area. Uh, Adam Brassville, a friend of mine, is running her campaign, a great patriot, ran a lot of campaigns around the country. Uh, but I think, you know, getting her in place, you know, I ask us, well, how are you going to deal with Washington, D.C.? 
you know, she said, well, Matt, I've got four kids and, you know, Congress is like a daycare. I think I'll be able to, I think I can handle it. I think I can help clean it up. And so those are the kind of candidates we need. You know, I think we need new blood. We need young people in office. We need more females. We need more uh, minorities. You know, the GOP just completely, you know, pardon me, they completely crap on females. I've worked on multiple campaigns for the last three or four years around the country. And I've seen the GOP establishment like refuse to endorse females. And then you look at a Marjorie Taylor Greene and a Lauren Bobert who went out there and literally they didn't help them. They just steamrolled uh, and did it themselves. You know, those ladies are just tough to the core. They roll up their sleeves and they kick some backside and they and they got elected. Uh, but they didn't get a lot of help from the GOP either. And they still don't, as you can see. You know, I mean, the GOP did nothing when the, the Democrats went to uh, pull Marjorie Taylor Greene off of committees. You know, they're, they're no. nothing to help. Nothing. Yeah. And so that I think, honestly, you know, you know, Chase, that's that's the big thing is that. I don't know how we fix this this party unless we start, you know, uh, backing people like that and getting younger candidates in place. Uh, you know, I, I think people are tired. I've, I've got a, I live in a condo, so if you hear that, I've got landscapers, and I apologize, they're out. No, that's fine. I don't hear anything. That's good. That's good. Uh, the, the new Macs are phenomenal for for drowning out sound, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the big issue to me is that I, I don't know how we fix the problem unless we get these people in office, and we've got to we, we've got to fight hard for it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm backing Willie Monahue in, in Florida, who is running against Val Demings. You know, Willie is an amazing, you know, young man. There, I should say, Doctor Willie Monahue. He's got a PhD in theology. You know, he's a black minister. He's from Orlando. He's fighting down there. He cares about his community. You look at Bob Lancia up in Rhode Island, another candidate I'm backing for District Two in Congress up there. You know, Bob Lancia is a retired Navy chaplain. He was the chaplain over all 20,000 Marines at Camp Base Lejeune. Uh, you know, so. These are, and Bob is like not a younger guy. Bob's an older guy, but, you know, the military background, the retired chaplain, you know, cares about his country. He literally was up by 15,000 votes in 2020 for the congressional seat. They did a ballot dump at 1 a.m. and Bob lost by about 247 votes. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because I've noticed just from your, your Twitter in, in passing scrolling through that you, you seem to be very skeptical of the most recent election that we've had in terms of legitimacy. Um, and I, I myself have um, mixed feelings on it. Uh, because I was a Trump supporter, but um, I'm very reluctant to um, make the you know fraudulent ele- election claim, right. and it's because I'm not educated on the issue specifically. There are guys that have spent you know three, four, or five hours a day looking into all this stuff that have more informed opinions than me. So I wanted to hear from you, and sure. I don't want to be like um, uh, I don't want to have like an antagonist uh, opposition to you and whatever your perspective is, but I would love to hear from you, like what your rational thinking is in terms of the election integrity, because as it stands now, my perspective, which could totally be wrong, is that there wasn't necessarily any lawful cheating, but it was certainly very cheap the way that the Democrats won by using the mail-in ballots and, and, and writing the, the, the back of COVID. So I don't know if that's the correct interpretation of what happened or not. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think you kind of summed it up for me, in, in my opinion as well. I think it was strategically targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people, and I'm glad you. It's a great question. I, I wish more people would open with the way you worded it because I don't even think I could have worded it that well. Because honestly, you know, people like you said they want to go straight in with you know fraud, cheated fraud, and it's and the problem is when you make when you make accusations like that, you better be able to p- pick those up and prove it because they're going to deplatform. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's a lot of the reason why there's a lot of people that have you know, big name people that are, are, are beating this drum and screaming it from the rooftops, but they haven't shown any proof to the American people yet. And, and I think that's, that's alarming to me to just go around and make that accusation. 
I do believe they strategically targeted seven metro cities. But I, and I am careful to say that because what do you mean I, by strategically targeted? You mean like they were very um, intentional about who got ballots and who didn't? Yeah, that kind of thing? Yes, yes, I think they knew where they could control the the judges, the, the city councils, the mayors, and even the the, the state you know mm-hmm. secretary uh, secretary of states, the attorney generals. They targeted obviously Fulton County and Atlanta. They targeted Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. They targeted Milwaukee, Detroit. They targeted Phoenix and Las Vegas. Um, it, where I don't believe you know everyone else talks about machine fraud, right? Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that if there was fraud, it came from hand ballots because that would be the easiest to manipulate. Mm-hmm. No one really wants to have that conversation, right? Um, and, and that's why you would see the machines being shut off. And that's what happened across the board it is, you know, they were shut off and they went to hand counting. If you, if you notice, that was the whole situation, water leaks, all sorts of situations in that, in that realm of things and that, and that thought process. But at the end of the day, um, I think as a party, this is me personally. Now I'll take a lot of heck for this. I've been saying it recently. You probably heard it. You know, we have this group in our movement, probably, and it's an alarming percentage, you know, Chase, it could be over 50% that literally thinks they're going to pull Joe Biden off with a cane and push Donald Trump out on stage and be like, your president is back. This has never happened in our nation's history, folks. It's never happened in the history of our country. I, I don't see it happening now. I think that if we're not careful as a party, we are going to get, you know, it's like, have you ever seen the movie Hoosiers? I don't know if you have. Here's oh, one. of course. It's classic. Every other uh, shot is um, the scoreboard. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there's a scene, you know, where, where Gene Hackman gets ejected. Dennis, you know, Dennis, uh, uh, is it Hopper? Is that, was that right? Is it Hopper? Dennis Hopper is certainly an actor. I can't remember if he's in uh, Hoosiers or not. It's been so long since I've seen it. It might be, it's one of those, I think it's Dennis Hopper Hoffman. I can't remember. It might be Dennis Hoffman, but there, you know, he, he's the assistant coach and he's kind of a drunk, you know, and they see, and he sobers him up, but he's, but he's forced to coach the team in this tough game. And he, and he makes this reference, you know, hey, boys, don't get caught watching the pay drive. You know, he's mm-hmm. going to run the picket fence play. And so the, the, the purpose of this is, I think as conservatives, we're going to get caught watching the paint drive if we continue to live in the past and focus on that. There, to me, there was not widespread fraud. I've had this argument with people because, you know, the argument I hear is my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. I think that is an absolute uh, absurdity for people to continue to spew that nonsense. Your vote mattered in Texas, where Trump won by almost 800,000 votes. It mattered in Ohio in the same you know, effort. It mattered in Florida. He won every county in Oklahoma. He took 75% of Arkansas, 63% in Nebraska. And I can go on and on with the numbers. Your vote absolutely mattered. I hate that uh, we have a group, a, a large percentage of our party telling people that their vote doesn't matter. I think it's detrimental to the republic. It's detrimental to our process in elections. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stop that because, you know, if, if they do, let's just say they prove the fraud, if there was, let's just say they prove it. Well, now you've got half the country convinced or half your party convinced that their vote doesn't matter. You're going to have the same situation that happened in Georgia where you had the, all those knuckleheads down there in December telling people not to vote. And then we lost the Senate. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to stop doing that as a party. Um, I think you got to investigate those areas, those seven metro cities. And they're doing that in Maricopa County. Um, obviously, I put out a tweet that went extremely viral you know, yesterday. I think it's got like 50,000 likes right now. But basically, you know, it said, it said you know, no one sends 100 lawyers to cover up a victory. Right. I remember that tweet. So there's, I, I believe there's something there. I think it's more on the hand counting thing, but I think we have to, we have to work towards 2022. What can we do? You know, there are a lot of places, you know, Alex Stovall and Walt Blackman running in Arizona, you know, Walt's a 21 year retired, uh, you know, army tank commander, you know, uh, a strong black conservative. I mean, there's some great candidates out there that are running that we can flip seats. If Bob Lancey wins in Rhode Island, Guess what we just did? We turned Rhode Island red. If Audra Johnson replaces Peter Meyer and we get a stronger, you know, Republican presence in Michigan, Willie Monahue, you know, Willie Monahue, 
takes out Val Demings in Florida. You see where I'm going with this. There are strategic things we can do to take the House back, to get the Senate back, and to start to try to correct and fix this problem uh, where I, I don't believe that, you know, fraud's going to come into play and stop any of those moves from happening. But I think the biggest thing is people have got to get off their backsides uh, and, and get involved. You know, join a street, uh, street team, uh, you know, be a door knocker, be a poll watcher, uh, get involved from the city council level, you know, Chase, all the way up to the state Senate, to the, to the uh, federal level. The biggest thing I see in our party, I'll yield back and give you your time back here. But the biggest no, thing I see is that our party, you know, we just want to sit on our hands and we want to point the finger and we want to complain. No one's getting involved. And I heard a lot of feelings. I get people mad at me when I say that, but I'm all over the country almost every week. I'm on a plane somewhere. I see it. And, and the number one thing that I think our party is facing is that we just want to, we want to point the finger. We want to say this happened or that happened. But at the end of the day, the way we, the way we get America back is we got to get involved. People have to get involved. And I'm not, you know, and they got to quit thinking, oh, it doesn't affect me. Uh, right. It does affect you, you know, and I'll yield back. Buddy. Well, I think, um, one of the problems that we inherently have uh, just just by virtue of being conservative is that the nature of our party and our policy is to preserve and protect certain established norms like the Constitution, for example, or the Second Amendment, for example, right? Major platform issues for conservatives. And so we always tend to react to any sort of assault on what we're trying to conserve. And that gives the Democrats an advantage politically because they can be very proactive in their attacks. And it makes the Republicans look just like you said, like they're sitting on their hands and just waiting for, you know, what, what side of the fort that we need to defend now. Right. So we'll run to the left flank, we'll run to the right flank. But I wish that we realize that in order to win this, this battle, this right versus left battle, the Republicans have to start being incredibly proactive and they, they need the best, the best defense is a good offense. Right. So when you start uh, uh, taking back ground, uh, both uh, politically in terms of candidates that are elected, but we, we need to give, as ter- in terms of branding, narrative, and policy issues, we need to give the Democrats something to respond to rather than just attacking us and waiting for our response all the time. I, I think that's very well said. You know, I mean, there's, and I think it's like you said, it's holding our own side accountable is the start of that. Like you said, if we, if all of a sudden we trade in a Peter Meyer for an Audra Johnson, like you said, the Democrats have to go, well, we have a problem here in Michigan. We had a Republican that was technically a rhino, you know, a Republican in name only that we could kind of control. He was voting with us. It's like Adam Kissinger in, in Illinois, you know, guys that Scott Pressler is working on. I'm working on Michigan. Scott's working in play. We're, you know, there's different ones. We're all friends, but we're working in different parts of the country to try to get our country back and try to get, you know, get the House and the Senate back in 2022. And I think you just nailed, you summed it up right there. Um, give them something to worry about. Right now, uh, conservatives are like, oh, well, you know, this guy's got an R in front of his name. We'll just go with the flow. But now all of a sudden we put in an Audra Johnson and we, or we pull out an, you know, an Adam Kissinger and we move in another stronger. So you put a stronger Republican in Michigan in that seat, you know, that's not going to vote to, uh, you know, fraudulently impeach a president based on feelings. You know, you do the mm-hmm. same thing in Illinois, you know, uh, and you, like you said, you start giving them things to worry about. You know, I'm backing Chad Prather for the governorship in Texas in the gubernatorial race. Why, what, what's your, um, what's your, um, what differences do you have with Abbott? Because I moved here from California and sure. Abbott seems like an angel compared to Newsom. <laughs> and so it's hard for me to think negatively of him, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could compare probably anyone to Newsom, you know, sure. better on the conservative side of things. Sure. My issue with Abbott is, is go, goes into what you said about being proactive. Abbott literally just waits about a week to see what DeSantis is going to do. And then he goes, <laughs> and like and with critical race theory. Yeah, that's kind of his concealed care, uh, constitutional yeah. carry, stuff like that. 
yeah, mass mandates. That's his, that's his thing. You know, mm-hmm. my, my big issue with Abbott is the fact that, you know, you don't get to, he's the one who put the unconstitutional mass mandate on Texas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nine months ago. Now, I guess it's been 10 months ago. Um, you know, you can, and then you take it off and then he wants a pat on the back or an attaboy. Um, right. I think, you know, the Democrats, just from what I know, you know, being kind of on the inside a little bit, they're going to run Beto O'Rourke against him. It's Are you coming. kidding me? That dude always loses. But here's the problem. You know, he, he almost, he literally, you know, we don't want to admit his conservatives, but he almost took Cruz out. Yeah, I know. But he was hyper-funded nationally. And, and, you, and trust me, you don't think he's going to do that in Texas with the money? Yeah, they, I guess. They're going to come with Act Blue, Share Blue, Media Matters. They are going to come with everything but the kitchen sink. And it's going to take a strong candidate because Beto is vocal. Abbott is not. Mm-hmm. Beto is going to be everywhere, beating a drum, vocal, annihilating Abbott verbally. He's going to be on every TV show, every radio show, every social media platform he can be on. It's going to take someone who can debate him because I don't believe Abbott can do it as much as I, I'm just sorry. I don't believe Abbott. I mean, I, I I've like never that. seen him in debate, so I don't know. Right. Well, that, that's, and that's the kicker. You know, Beto is becoming very seasoned in this, you know, presidential debates, presidential campaign runs, Senate runs. He, he was a congressman. Whereas you've got Abbott, I, I don't believe that Abbott's going to hold up. And my theory on this is Texans are, there's a lot of Texans that are very, very upset with Abbott, the mass mandates, the fact that he waits on DeSantis. He's not, like you said, he's not proactive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for new blood in, the, in our party. Do you think uh, McConaughey's going to be a real player? Or do you think that's just media uh, capitalizing on his name? He could, but I mean, I can't take somebody seriously who poses on top of a rock with a mask on on a cliff. You yeah, know, it, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's like, man, you're, you're on, a, you're by yourself in the middle of the woods on, a, on top of a rock. You're obviously virtue signaling if you're wearing a mask on top of a cliff with a, you know, sure. it, it's insane to me. Does he have a chance? Sure. I mean, look at what Donald Trump did. Um, I believe that people like Mark Cuban and Dwayne Johnson are going to be a real power uh, that the, that the Republicans are going to have to face in the next few years in presidential cycles. I think both those guys are going to probably run at some point on the mm-hmm. democratic ticket. Uh, but I think right now, uh, I think you're going to, I think someone like Chad Prather, who is a Texan, you know, who, who has millions of followers who can compete with Beto, who can, you know, has a sharp tongue, who can fire things back. I, th- I think it's needed in Texas. We cannot lose Texas as conservatives. And I right. think we're taking it for granted, you know, that, do you think that, there's a, do you think there's a risk of, or a real risk of a schism in the party here? I do. I do. I think there's a real risk of, uh, of conservatives losing the state of Texas by being complacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I think that if they're paying attention to the crews and, and the O'Rourke race last time, you know, like you said, it was insane. I think, I think it was wasn't like a hundred million dollars for a Senate race. It was insane. Uh, the number, it may have even been higher than that. You know, Chase, it was way up there. They will go even higher. And we've seen what happens. You look at the Pennsylvania governor, you look at Kemp in Georgia, you look at Whitmer in Michigan, you look at these states where you had Ducey in Arizona, you look at these states where you have weak governors or, or, or wishy-washy fence straddlers in, in the governor's spot. You know, and obviously you look at DeSantis in Florida, that state is rock solid. He's not going to allow, you know, it's important. It's imperative that you have strong governors in the, in the big conservative states. And, and I think Texas is, is literally teetering on a very volatile situation. He's got another challenger too. That's I think going to run now in Texas. I can't remember his name. He's a, uh, I think he's like a, uh, almost a billionaire businessman. Now, let me ask you as someone who moved to Texas in, in the fall, is there Trish, is there traditionally a, um, a primary opponent for governor of the same party? Cause like with Trump, for example, virtually no, I mean, I know he technically had a challenger, but it was so yeah. minuscule that his, I don't even know his name. Right. right. So is, is that traditionally something that happens in Texas? Is the governor traditionally challenged within his own party? 
Probably not, but I think it's one of those things where I think the mask mandate was kind of the last straw. I'm friends with Chad Brather. I believe that was kind of mm-hmm. the last, you know, the last straw for him. He's like, I've had enough. You know, the guy just continues to go. And he made some really bad decisions during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Texans haven't forgotten that. You know, the, the, the lifelong Texans that are the hardcore ones that have been there, you know, that are really, really staunch, you know, conservatives, they're, they're very upset about it. Um, and I think, and I think he needs challenge. I mean, I really do. I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Um, because I think the, the Democrats are going to come for that seat heavily. And I think they're going to put hundreds of millions of dollars behind Beto O'Rourke uh, or a Matthew McConaughey, but they're going to come for it. Mm-hmm. And, and right now I don't see, you know, Abbott being able to hold up. Now I could be wrong, but if you look at how close that, you know, that Cruz O'Rourke race was, it should be concerning. Especially with what we're seeing, you know, in, in, in that board, you know, in the southern border with San Antonio and you know, El Paso and, and Houston and, you know, that influx of blue that's coming in, you know, it's working its way up into, you know, Waco and Austin, uh, mm-hmm. even even Dallas city limits now. I mean, realistically, you know, Texas is red, but all the metros are blue now, the big metros. Right. Fact. Have you have you looked in any data um, as far as what percentage of. Um, migrants to Texas are Democrat because I mean, California obviously is a heavily blue state and a lot of people are coming from the Silicon Valley area, which is a heavily blue area, but still like a third or 40% or whatever the number is of Californians are Republican, right? So there's got to be a number of those migrating out of the, out of these blue areas that have struggled throughout COVID that are, that are Republican. Like myself, for example, I was conservative in Orange County and I moved here. And so what, what percentage of, of people migrating to this state do you think are actually blue that are, that are turning the state purple i think it's probably at least 50 percent. yeah yeah uh, and, and and you at least have you know the the common sense about you to go hey i, I moved here because i didn't like the regulations i didn't like the taxes i didn't like right from. um but it seems to be a problem you know people moving from new york to florida people moving from you know california to you know to texas uh, from the liberal stance and you know it's amazing you, you know you move away from something because of how they treat you you know and then literally <laughs> You, know, you vote for it to happen again. Yeah, and then you're going to vote for vote for exactly what you moved away from. It, it's um, it's mind numbing to me, but it, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it goes into like what we were talking about earlier: the complacency. Like you said, people need to be proactive in our party. They're not. Um, I think that's uh, you know I I think you're going to see uh, Bush, uh, the the little Bush. I think he's going to run against Ken Paxton. Which one, Jeb? Uh, no, no, he. Uh, it's the I think he's like the agri, agri, uh, agriculture. Uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture for Texas or something. Related to, related to George? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's okay. one of the sons or grandsons. I'm not sure exactly where it's at, but, you know, the rumor mill is he's going to run against Ken Paxton. And so, and that, and that's, that's literally, that is a rhino. You know, that's the Bush family. Mm-hmm. You know, Ken Paxton has done a marvelous do- a job as attorney general in the state of Texas. You know, he's mm-hmm. been the Biden administration at every turn trying to hold them accountable. So mm-hmm. when you look at that, you know, uh, from, when you flip the, you know, flip the script a little bit, the hardcore, you know, rhinos, the the institutionalists that want to, you know, that side with the Democrats in a lot of their voting are, are going to try to, you see, what I'm saying? It, it, they're all in it together is the best way I can put it. We right. have our party. Right. Our party's compromised itself into basically being uh, uh, traditionally Democrat, right? The old school form of the Democratic Party in a lot of ways. And, you know, I love Trump. Um, the reason I love Trump was because I'm, I'm a populist and I saw him as the only candidate that was a populist. But I don't necessarily buy the argument that he was conservative. And I don't agree with a lot of the things that he did in, in terms of how he led. Um, for example, I was I agreed with the wall 
But by getting the wall done with executive order, it's totally susceptible to the next administration just shutting it down, right? Rather than getting it done with legislation. So a lot of the things that he did, even though I agreed with them, I disagreed with the way that he did them. And obviously he spent a lot, but I, I just wanted a populist president. And I believe to this day that, uh, that Trump adamantly supports the United States and loves this country before all other countries. And so that's why I'm still a fan of him, despite um, some of the things that bothered me about him. Um, but one of my concerns is, as um, as the government continues to spend and sell bonds to the Federal Reserve in order to fund the spending, uh, I'm concerned about inflation increasing the gap between the rich and the poor in the nation. And I know that that's a talking point that's used by the left a lot, but I'm not concerned about it for the same reasons. Um, I'm concerned about it because it seems to me that as the middle class shrinks, there'll be less incentive for either party to represent who used to be in the middle class or who is in the middle class or who should be in the middle class. And it seems to me that this is an incredible opportunity for the, um, the GOP to claim that they are the party of the middle class. Traditionally, they were the business party, right, of small businesses. Uh, right. And then they, they kind of got branded as the big business party. Now the Democrats claim that they're for the poor, the poor, but they're really for big business and contractors because everything they spend money on just makes the rich richer, right? And, and, and so how can, the, how can the GOP brand itself as the, the middle class, working class, Americans party? You know, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I think you saw some of that in 2016 with what, you know, the president did Trump, that is with, you know, uh, making us energy, you know, independent for the first time and in, in probably, you know, our lifetimes, if not ever as a nation, you know, with, you know, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, it's amazing. We say, Oh, well, we we're, we're concerned about climate change. So we're not going to drill on American soil, but yet we'll buy oil from every other country in the world. Right. Literally the, the most moronic notion there is on the planet. And then and we also lose American jobs in that and pay, pay foreign, you know, wages. It just, it makes no sense. So I think, you know, with what Trump did, when you look at what he did with, you know, bringing back, you know, almost 700,000 manufacturing jobs, you look at what he did with making America in the, you know, energy independent. I think that you've got to do something along those lines. Now, something happened in Pennsylvania, you know, now, once again, there's going to be a lot of investigations. I don't think anything will come of it. That's just me, you know, on this whole voting situation on where things lie. Did it really happen? Was there was there fraud? Who at this point? I, it may. I think it's all going to come out, but I'll just be honest. I don't think it's going to change anything, and I think that makes people upset because you know they control the judges, the Department of Justice. They control all three. You know, they control the House, the Senate, the White House. Uh, I love it when people think that well, we're going to prove the fraud. And my response is, well, who's going to do anything about it? Because they control everything right now. And obviously, Merrick Garland has a weaponized Department of Justice now. What they always claim the Trump administration of actually doing, but never happened under Bill Barr and and, and Sessions. So. I'll, I'll go, I'll go back for a second on, on, on your question. Um, I, I truly believe that, you know, energy independence is, is number one. Bringing manufacturing back to America. I have been saying that before Trump was elected, before he even ran. The key to getting America back is American manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, we have to get back to making not just American steel, but everything. Because, you know, if we, if a, this is one of those, it's, it's a talking point, it's a foreign policy talking point. Nobody wants to have the discussion because, you know, the, you know, the Chinese, the CC, they're all paying these people. They're paying the politicians. You know that as well. Of course. So basically where I'm going with this is, is, you know, it, it's frustrating because they're making so much money off of China, the politicians, the lobbyists. But in actuality, what benefits Americans? Let's say a war breaks out, Chase. Do you think China is going to keep selling us their cheap steel and their cheap infrastructure to build planes and tanks to fight them? 
it's really the, the notion, uh, you know, it's probably why the Chinese and the Russians and, and, and the North Koreans and the Iranians are laughing at Americans, and they should right now. Because in retrospect, we are beholden to China on almost everything. We should have our own steel. We should have our own infrastructure. We should have our own chips. We should have our own everything that we need here in-house. Because right now we are dependent on everything. I, I, would, say, I would say it would be hard to, I don't know the actual number, but would you say it's probably 85, 90% of everything in America is coming from China at this point? Yeah. Uh, and if not China, some, someone else like Vietnam or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so if, if actual confrontation does break out, like what we're seeing starting to happen, you know, you see Russia loading up, you know, with hundreds of thousands of troops on the Ukrainian border. Are they going to take that back? We don't know, but it sure looks like it at this point. They've been loading up for two months now over there. And yeah, I'm worried about them taking Taiwan. Yeah. 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 China could take Taiwan. You've got, you've got Russia now, you know, bullying up on Ukraine and putting, you know, two, 300,000 troops and, 3,000 tanks on the border and running drills and, you know, with their aircraft carriers out there. So all of this is happening. North Korea is launching missiles again. You know, they don't care. You know, all hell has broke loose since Biden took over. But the point is, when you talk, your question was, how do we get America back to, you know, that middle class? It's with building everything at home. You know, we have to get back to taking care of our farmers, you know, taking care of, Everything here at home, we should be we should be focusing on farmers, focusing on manufacturing, focusing on American made, focusing on getting that back. And the problem is, it's like no one. I mean, you, it's a great question. But how do you make these people that we elect in D.C. actually start putting policy in place to do that? Right. Well, and, and one thing that's that I'm curious about, and I haven't looked into the numbers to try to figure this out, but obviously labor in China is excruciatingly cheap to the point where we would consider it slave labor if it was being done in the United States. There's not really a dispute about that. Um, that's definitely the case. And, um, you know, that, that cheap labor labor makes it economical for us to import a lot of goods from them. But you have these incredible costs of shipping. Uh, and and the fees on top of shipping across the the ocean to the United States, how how much of a difference marginally is there between cost of say if we were to manufacture all of our iPhones in Iowa instead of you know Wuhan or wherever they're being Shenzhen or whatever that wherever in China they're being manufactured, how much more expensive would an iPhone become? I mean, you know, we're we're supposedly I say supposedly you know the richest nation in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, can, you know, and, and it's amazing, you know, can, can Americans actually afford, you know, can, can we actually afford it? Like you said, let's say, what is the iPhone going to go up from? Because now they put you on what payment plans now? Nobody, nobody. Pay like 30 bucks a month for a new phone. Yeah. yeah. You go to 38, you know, I see what you're saying. Right. Would it be worth 30? Would you, are there, I think there's enough conservatives and, and people that are tired of America getting tr- trampled on that if you had your option of a phone that was $32 and one that was 42 and that one says made in the USA. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to pay the 10 bucks more a month and take the made in the USA product and thus start building up our, you know, our manufacturing that way. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's, that's the real kicker. What sacrifices are, are being made? Um, it, it, it's really, it's really sad. I mean, the corporations, you look at the mass mandate, they're controlling everything. You know, all the governors, all the mayors, they started pulling back the mass mandate, you know, Chase, because they knew they didn't, they can look like the good guy to the conservative base that didn't want to wear the mask, who thought it was against their constitutional rights, and it is, but, but now they, they know the corporations control it, whether it's the airlines, the hotels, the restaurant chains. If you see where I'm going with this, they can go, oh, well, you know, it's a private establishment. It's just like no shirt, no shoes, no service. Now they can say no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service, and it takes their hands out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the corporations are controlling the media. They control the, the politicians. Uh, it's, it's basically something that our founders, I don't think, really saw coming. Right. They really saw corporations getting to this level, you know what I mean, to where they were controlling America. And, and I think that's where we're at at this point in time. Uh, there, there should be monopoly charges. Honestly, if we're being honest with each other, it's a whole other, whole, whole other discussion. But there should be monopoly charges hammered against the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Facebooks and the Twitters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if the DOJ was doing their job, there should probably be, what, about 100 companies in the U.S. broken up? Oh, yeah. Well, and the problem when, when we talk about big tech in general, um, one of the uh, qualms that I have with the issue is that, is that the, the, the left says, hey, they're private companies. They can censor who they want. They can deplatform who they want. And I'm a firm believer in, in sort of two perspectives on that. My first perspective is I don't believe that any monopoly has existed in the United States without government sponsorship. Okay, they've all been sponsored or subsidized in some way by government, or they're under threat of government breakup. And so by that argument, yes, they are monopolies, but they're empowered by the government. And second of all, I, I don't I don't consider them private companies. I can I consider them extensions of the government. You see the government outsourcing violation of constitutional rights like freedom of speech to big tech under the protection of, hey, it's a it's a private business, right? But if you're if you're Twitter or Google and you're constantly being threatened by Elizabeth Warren on Twitter for you know being c- convicted of antitrust law uh, violations or, or anything like that, you're going to cater to them. Your board of directors is going to cater to them and you're going to censor people that are opposition. You're going to try to get as friendly with the government as possible in order to avoid that, that sort of a breakup or that, that happening to your business. So these, these big tech companies, they're not private companies. These are extensions of government at this point. And therefore, that's why I believe that our constitutional rights should be protected when we use their platforms as well, because they are not exclusively. It's different if you're going into somebody's small restaurant and they're telling you, hey, don't say the N word here. Otherwise, we're going to kick you out. OK, that makes sense. But if you're on a, if you're on Google or Twitter and you're expressing yourself and you're being censored, that isn't private business censorship. That is government spe- uh, censorship because of the threat the government has uh, on, on these platforms, in my opinion. No, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, that's the thing. And, and it's basically, it's targeted on who they want to censor as well. You know, uh, someone on the left can say exactly what you and I say, and nothing happens, but if you, you and I say it, and they will literally suspend us indefinitely. Well, look at all the, look at all the Hamas stuff going on, right? With, between Israel and Palestine. You see, you see world leaders supporting Hamas. You see people calling uh, for the most, most violence you possible against people just based on their their race or ethnicity or faith right and they're not being they're not being taken down from these platforms but then as soon as somebody tweets something about suspicious ballots appearing at 2 a.m in a van they get banned right and 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 i i tweeted this earlier today my my whole the the left is is right to a certain extent in being critical of conspiracy theories because so many conspiracy theories are just horseshit (laughs) pardon my language but the point that i'm point that I'm trying to make is the reason conspiracy theories exist is because there's no trust in the media narrative. The same with what happened on January 6th. I firmly believe that the reason that the January 6th event occurred isn't because anything that Trump incited. It's because the media lied so much about Trump over the years that when they said the election was legitimate, which I believe that it it probably was legitimate or very close to legitimate in terms of legally, not necessarily ethically, but legally legitimate. Um, uh, uh, Nobody believed them. And it wasn't because they're stupid. Uh, It wasn't because um, Trump said anything or they were coerced by leadership or QAnon said something. It's because the media lies so much about everything that how 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 is anybody supposed to believe them when they actually do tell the truth for once on an important issue? 
Right, right. I think, you know, I think they probably found, I mean, do I think that a lot of illegal people cast ballots? Yes. True. I think they found loopholes. Uh, there were a lot of state legislatures that, as you know, voted that illegals could vote, which is absolutely unconstitutional against. Right. But like you said, I think they found loopholes. Uh, we don't have to agree with it. Sure. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, I, I, started, I got my start in media before I got into politics a long time ago doing pro wrestling and mixed martial arts radio. This is over 20 years ago. Uh, there was a pro wrestler named Eddie Guerrero, you know, and his slogan was cheat to win. I don't know if you've ever been a pro wrestling fan or not, but, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's literally, you know, you know, even though he cheated, he still won, you know? And I think, I mean, I think there's, there's um, like you said, we don't have to like the methodology of how it happened, but did they find a way to do it with some loopholes and things? It's, it looks like they did. And that's mm-hmm. the, that's the real problem. I mean, I think, you know, someone's going to have to come up with some serious evidence. My issue is all of these people claim this. I, I don't know about you. I've yet to see any, any proof, you know, put out there in a, in a way with, that explains it in layman's terms mm-hmm. to the American people. And I think if somebody could come out there and say, hey, look, you know, here's a picture of, you know, this pallet of ballots, right? And, and here's, here's a picture of this pallet of ballots before they, you know, we started voting on you know, October 21st for early voting. And then, you know, you should have said that there, there should be ways to figure this out that shouldn't, that should not take a process. It shouldn't be hard. You should be able to go, okay, well, uh, hopefully I don't have anything on this, but you know, let's throw this up. so this is what about, you see where I'm going with this. This is the right. size of the ballot, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this is a toll pass, by the way, for anybody that <laughs> you know, travel too much. Uh, and these are the ballots that were counted. That would right. be, that would be an issue, right? Right, right. There's, it shouldn't be hard, right, Chase, to figure this out. If there is fraud, like they're all claiming, it should be that simple. You know, it's like, well, this is the size of the ballots that were issued. This is what was cast, and you can go, okay, well, these shouldn't be there, and a judge should look at that. How right. hard can this be? Right. Well, and and the fact that so many of these cases brought against the election were just dismissed or not even heard. You know, I understand that a lot of them, if not all of them, were just baloney. But the fact that they weren't heard really undermines the integrity of the process, right? So, like, I, I feel like if if these arguments were heard in open court and ruled on, then you know, it could put the issue to rest. Because the right. the biggest problem right now isn't whether or not, in my opinion, it's not whether or not Trump actually won. The biggest problem is that nobody knows for sure either way. They just have opinions. And we have to know for sure in this country if we want our republic to survive. Right. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, and I think think it's sad that we've got these federal judges with lifetime appointments who can basically never be fired, who make crazy money, have crazy stature, crazy benefits, and they don't even have the testicular fortitude Mm-hmm. to hear these cases. Now, granted, if it's Joe Blow that works at the hardware store and he files a suit with his local attorney, I can understand a federal judge's frustration of going, look, dude, you don't have any standing. But right. he still ought to at least look at what the guy presents, spend a couple of hours, humor it, and move on. Mm-hmm. My Lord, they sue everyone for anything and everything and clog up our court systems for it. Nothing could be more. Put all that on the back burner and let's deal with, like you said, and let's deal with this Let's get these judges doing what they're actually paid to do. And let's hear these cases because I can't think of anything the court should be hearing more like, like you just alluded to, than they should be hearing these cases and ruling on them, seeing the evidence. And then, like you said, it'll either all get washed out or you might have five or six cases where someone there's an aha moment and someone like you or I can go, wait a minute, that's 37,000 votes in a county that 
in a state that Biden only won by 8,000 votes. Then you then all of a sudden you do have a light bulb moment mm-hmm. and you can actually start having that conversation. Hey, we need to talk about what happened in this state. But until then, I, like you said, if their judges aren't even going to hear it, all it does is cloud the doubt. It, it, you got half the country who's still pissed off mm-hmm. and they're not clearing anything up. Right. Right. Well, and I know that constitutionally speaking, um, the way that elections are conducted are divvied among the states, right? The states, the states decide how to conduct their own elections. And to me, that makes sense. But I would be interested in considering, I'm not adamant for it yet, uh, but I'm interested in considering the notion of a constitutional amendment to, um, to that issue, because I have a problem with the fact that, say, Michigan's uh, election policy for federal elections, not state elections, but federal elections can impact you know, policy at the federal level that um, um, impacts my life as a Texan, right? So I can understand how, if, look, if this state wants to elect their governor this way without voter IDs and whatever, that's them. But if you're electing people to the House or the Senate or to the presidency, it seems to me reasonable that we would have universal procedures as to how that's done across the states. But I don't know. I mean, that could be controversial. Uh, but I, I just, I, I speculate that if our founding fathers had seen what this has looked like basically since 2000, right? Um, there would be, um, uh, they might've made some changes as a po- in terms of how um, uh, elections could be conducted. And obviously back then there weren't any voter ID laws and, and election integrity was probably much more difficult to uh, enforce. But it seems to me that it's not fair to various constituents throughout the country when certain key swing states have policies that aren't conducive to election integrity. Well, it seems like, you know, they had better, I mean, they have better election integrity in Afghanistan, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, they do the, are you familiar? They do the dye test with your finger in Afghanistan. I'm not familiar with that. What is that? Literally, you know, you, when you go to vote, you have to dip your finger in dye, your index finger, and it will last about, stay in your finger for almost a month. You can't get it off for about a month. Oh, so you can't go in again because your finger's all... Right. They they literally have better election integrity in Afghanistan, for God's sakes, than we do in America for Mm -hmm. our voting systems. I mean, the fact that we don't, you know, the fact that you need an ID to buy a beer, you know, to to buy cigarettes, to go to a movie, for God's sakes. If you look too young, they'll even card you in a movie theater, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll card you at Walmart or Target or Best Buy if you buy a, a rating on a DVD. Have you looked into how hard it is to actually get an ID? Like, is it actually true that minorities have a really hard time getting an ID or is that just made up? No, you go to, you can go to like a Walgreens and get it done. Right. Yes. I'm pretty sure they have the ID things there. Yeah, I understand. But my life, you know, just to give them the benefit of the doubt, just to play the devil's advocate, because I I think I agree with you, but my life, I, I'm self-employed. I've got cash. I control my own schedule. I own a car, right? I have a lot of resources. I can just do whatever the hell I want. Is it possible that people who are so poor, they're single mothers, they're working three jobs, like just can't get an ID. Is that possible? It's no different than you or I going to get a driver's license so that we can get to work to and from. Right. No different. So if you can get a, if you can get an ID, you know, to, you know, to go to work, you know, which you have to have. Right. You know, I mean, you have to have an ID to, uh, you know, to go ride the bus, for God's sakes. You mm-hmm. know, you know, they're not going to sell you a bus pass without an ID in a big city. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of those things where I think it's, you know, <laughs> my grandfather always said, you know, excuses are like, uh, pardon the language, excuses are like assholes. Right. Everybody and, has them and they all stink. You know, <laughs> and, and so I feel like it's just another long, it's, it's amazing. But I bet if you, you know, when you said you need an ID to vote. But I'll bet you money these people can find a way to have an ID to buy liquor, 
to buy their, their, their smokes, to buy other things that they need. I'll bet you money they can all find a way to have an ID to do that. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's disheartening that you need an ID to drive a car. You need an ID to, you know, to go to, to get on a plane. And you see where I'm going, I can just keep going down the whole, but I mean, to me, an ID to vote should be the number one thing you need an ID for. Even if you just brought your social security card, even if it wasn't a photo ID and you had your social security card and they, and they made sure that that number could not vote twice, that would be, and everybody's got one, right? You get one in the mail within a month of being born. That seems to me like a really reasonable approach. Right. Well, and the problem is now because the people that are working the, you know, the, the voting booths or the polling are now worried about being called a racist. So now they're not even carding people or asking for IDs. Right. So, so, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. Well, the way you fix the way I think you can fix that in, in, in heavily minority communities, you can just, you can just recruit poll workers that are minorities and solve that problem. I think that's a great way of doing it. I hundred percent agree with that. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, that is the number one thing we have as a free Republic is our, is our right. to vote. Mm-hmm. Without it, we're no different than a lot of the countries in the world that are suppressed. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I think you have to fight for. There's no excuse for anyone thing because if you don't, if you don't have ID to vote, that means they can start stealing elections, which means they can start stealing your country. They can start stealing everything. And I don't know why this is even, honestly, it shouldn't even be a talking point. It should be a mm-hmm. common issue. Look, well, and if Democrats, the thing, the reason this is good for Democrats too, is because then Republicans would stop questioning whether or not Democratic candidates are legitimate when they win. You know, right. if we had voter ID everywhere, that would, you know, we gripe about something else. <laughs> and I, I just, it. it's good for everybody. You brought it up. Let me think, let me put it this way. You mean to tell me that they have the ability to just drop a check or, or a direct deposit, not once, not twice, not three times, not four. What are we on? Number six, something like that for some people. They can draw, they can, they know your bank account without you even sending in any paperwork and they can just drop money in it like that for hundreds of millions of Americans. You're telling me that they couldn't mail everyone out a voter ID. Right. It's pretty simple, right? With you know, they obviously have your driver's license picture because they know what, what your bank account is and they're dropping stimulus checks in. It. Mm-hmm. So they obviously know what your driver's license looks like, where you live, what your bank account is, you know? So just, well, there's no, up. there's no question that the government knows who the citizens are. I mean, right. just, just by virtue of having social security cards, it's all there. You know, that the only question with that is like, of course, when people die, there's latency and whether or not the government knows that a person is dead. But other than that, like um, uh, the government knows who the citizens are and who they aren't. It's just for some reason, there's pushback against um, uh, applying that knowledge to our our election system. And, And, you know, I'm sure that cheating happens. I'm sure that it happens on both sides. But we should eliminate this vulnerability before it becomes obvious that it's really happening on a big scale. I agree. And you gave me an idea. I'm going to probably tweet it while we're, while we're talking here. So, sure. But, uh, you know, it, you know, that's why I love having conversations with like-minded folks because that stuff just pops. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if you had to have an ID to get your stimulus check, I bet we'd solve this problem real fast. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think I'm wrong there. Do you? No, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. I was kidding about tweeting it, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> We'd solve voter ID really fast, right? We'd solve voter ID really fast. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. There we go. All right. Tweet it out so I don't interrupt everything. But yeah, no problem. You gave me that idea just by this conversation. But it's true. I mean, if you had to have if you had to have an ID to get those stimulus checks, uh, I I bet I bet this problem would shore itself up really fast. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, one thing that really bothers me about um, uh, the left is that oftentimes you don't see minorities making arguments on behalf of themselves. You see sort of like white privileged, educated uh, Democrats making arguments on behalf of minorities. Right. So I bet I bet if you went into, um, you know, a, a low income minority neighborhood in any major city and you walked around and you asked people whether or not they think that, you know, people should have an ID to vote. I bet you a lot of them would say, yeah, absolutely. Because these are reasonable people just because they're poor doesn't mean that they all have the same exact position as the establishment elite of the, of the party that they vote for. Right. And so I just, I'm so frustrated with, with, um, uh, 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 basically elite politicians claiming to be the voice of, of Hispanics or, or any other minority, because it just doesn't seem like there's a connection there whatsoever. No, I agree with you. And I think that's the other thing too, is that, you know, there's this misconception that, you know, minorities are just poor and living in the streets in, in every metro city. Most of them live in the suburbs. It's a right. rare few group that lives in the inner city that, you know, that, that is complaining about these issues. A lot of minorities live in the suburbs, you know, they have, you know, they have kids, they have families, they have jobs, they're middle, middle of the road income, you know, middle class, they're working hard. Um, I think it's just, you know, it, it's an insult to them as well. You know, um, you know, and, and most people that I know, you know, what I like to do is, you know, you can, you know, you can take my word for it. And then they go, well, you don't know what the struggles are, but I've got a lot of great friends, you know, like Damani Felder and, and, and Willie Montague and, and others out there that I can, that I can lean on Donnie Anthony, who ran for the mayor of Arlington, Texas, you know, who are, you know, black males and females in America who are conservatives. And when you have, when you talk about this with them, they laugh. They go, this is not an excuse. It's ridiculous. No, they're just making excuses. They're lazy. Now this is what, and I think that's where the conversation has to go, Chase, you know, as people, because, you know, you and I are going to be like, oh, well, you don't know what it's like. Well, I ask people who, who are living in those areas, who, who have been there, who know what it's like. And they all tell me that it's, it's just an excuse. Uh, I've got a great friend. Now I, I tell I've told the story a few times on air. Um, and he grew up as one of the enforcers for the Crips in Little Rock. And, uh, you know, now he manages, you know, multiple locations. He's a pro MMA fighter. Uh, and his nickname is Rip. And literally the reason why he got that nickname is when the Crips had, you owed the Crips money, they sent Rip. He had a Rip with the Crips and he was literally the enforcer. Uh, and so he'll flat out tell you that racism is nothing more than an excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, look what I've, look what I've done with my life. You know, um, you know, he, he runs multiple retail locations that he, that he has now. He's a pro MMA fighter. He, you know, he's, you know, he's made something of himself, but I think you just have to, you have to talk to these people and you have to, you know, say, look, here's the deal. You know, we, we've been there, put people that have been in their shoes and show them how to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we do a good job. And it's the same thing with police brutality, you know, you know, you and I are both, you know, white guys, but I was taught at like, you know, five years old by my father, you know, you respect authority, you respect the police. When I learned how to drive, first thing my dad says is don't mouth off to any cops. If you get pulled over, you keep your hands at 10 and two, you look straight ahead, you say, yes, sir. And no, sir. Yes, ma'am. And no, ma'am. Now, I, you know, according to the media stereotype, you know, I shouldn't have to do that. Right. I have privilege, but it's not the case. It's, it's all, it's all how you're raised. And I, and I just feel like we're not doing a good job of, uh, of relaying that and, and, and the communities aren't doing a good job of relaying this. And it goes the same way with voter ID. You know, you see um, the left really pushing a couple of things um, the past couple of years. Um, universal basic income is one uh, higher minimum wage is another uh, to me. And I could be misguided on this. So correct me if you have any other insight, but to me, it seems that 
these policies would actually only serve to harm the most vulnerable among us because of the increase in federal debt that it would create and then the devaluation of the dollar that it creates, right? When we have to, when we have to print to fund these programs. How can we convince... Um, uh, the, the Democratic voter base, the, the, particularly the minorities or the impoverished among the b- voter base, how can we convince them that these Democratic policies are actually harmful to them? Because if you get universal basic income or higher minimum wage, but your money is not worth as much as it was six months ago or a year ago, uh, um, then, then you're, not, you're not actually being helped at all. And I actually, as an aside, I was talking with a friend about this, and I mentioned this in the last episode that I did with uh, Ian Miles Strong. I was talking with a friend of mine about what happened with the, the black community uh, in particular over the course of the last 50 years, because, you know, before the seventies, it was sort of the nuclear family, very Christian values. And it seems to me very plausible that the reason so much has changed culturally in that community is because of inflation after we went off the gold standard, because if you're barely making it by, uh, but you're, you're making ends meet, but barely, and then all of a sudden your money's worth 10% less. And that puts you on the other side of that line. Then you're working extra jobs. You're not home with your kids as much. You might have to turn to crime, whatever. It seems to me that inflation and devaluing of the currency could explain almost every racial problem that we have in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it goes into the whole, you know, the minimum wage argument, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all ties in together. I, it's, a con- I, it's like we don't have common sense as a society. And I, I mean, man, I could go down the rabbit hole on the teachers unions and the schools because I think that's a lot of where this problem really resides, what mm-hmm. they're being taught, you know, in public schools and college institutions. But common sense would say if the, if the minimum wage is, say, let's just use it, eight fifty an hour for an example, if you raise that to twelve fifty. Is the price of coffee going to go up? Is the price of bread going to go up? Is the price of milk going to go up? So all they're going to do is level it out. So like you, like you said with Universal, you know, basically it's, it's I don't know how, you, it's hard to, when people don't really grasp common sense because of the world we live in, I don't know how you explain it to them. I wish I had a better analogy for you, but to me, it's just, it's, it's a common sense thing. If, if, you, if you put it at a certain level, you know, and it costs this person more money now, to employ people, it now costs the people at the manufacturing place that make the bread, that make the meat, that make the milk. They now have to pay more. Everything goes up. You know, everything goes up. And so you're not really making any more money. Minimum wage was never meant to live on. This universal thing is just, it's crap. You know, it's, it's a socialist talking point. Uh, it's more of the, you know, rich guy bad, bring everyone down to their playing level, you know, and, and that's, that's what it is to me. Right. And, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, that, that's, that's basically what it is. The entire premise is anyone who's successful in America uh, is the enemy to, to the left and their socialist agenda. And, and I think it's, it's sad because you're teaching people to be government dependent. You know, you're teaching people that, you know, they can't do anything on their own. You're like you said before we, I think before we started recording, you know, uh, you know, we, you and I both have a saying we use called live in the dream, mm-hmm. you know, right now, uh, people are, they're pretty much being taught there is no dream, you know? And, and I mean, it's unreal. When I look at the success stories in America, you know, you look at a guy, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the show Shark Tank. I mean, conservatives may not like me here saying that, but, you know, I love the entrepreneurship and, and, and the show and learning off the show. And you look at guys like Damon Johns, you know, and where he came from. You look at guys, you know, there are so many people out there. Look at a Michael Jordan, you know, and how he grew up and now he's a billionaire. And you look, you know, uh, so many success stories out there from a minority standpoint. Look at the guy who is, uh, 
I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's the founder of the Kind Bars. You know, he's mm-hmm. a, he's a billionaire now. He's on the show. You look at a Mark Cuban. You know, he's 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 technically Russian. Most people don't know that. You know, they shortened his name. You mm-hmm. know, I think it was Kubinsky. Or well, something. if you read if you read the Millionaire Next Door, which was a '90s book, I don't know if they've updated it, but 80% of millionaires are first generation, right? right. And that's one of the things that's things that's awesome about capitalism is that just because you grew up poor doesn't mean you end up poor, right? That's that's beautiful. That's that's a T-shirt right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. Like, you can have you can have that one. I'm telling you right now, you can have it. But you yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it's just you know they're not teaching anything in the schools that that allow these people to dream and aspire to be more. You know we were we were taught we can be. I don't know how old you are. I'm 42, but we were taught we could be anything. You know no no one short sighted any of us based on race, color, creed, background. It was you can be anything. You're an American. How do we get back to that as a talking point instead of acting like the government or the person who's more successful than you owes you something? See, but the reason that that's not politically conducive to the Democrats is if if it's true that the American dream is possible, if it's true that you can be anything you want, then that means that failure is you're culpable for your own failure. Right. And the Democrats need your failure to be someone else's fault in order to justify government intervention to establish justice. Right. So the Democrats don't want anybody believing in the American dream, because how the hell are they supposed to get elected if their whole entire platform is based off of helping people because it's impossible for them to get out of the situation they're in unless we do something. Right. No, we're on the same page, man. We are. I mean, you and I are. And that's why I think the Democrats are, are, are inherently racist, whether or not they're doing so witting, wittingly, because they either they either believe that minorities can't do it on their own or right. they want to convince minorities that they can't do it on their own, even if they can. So they're either uh, malicious or racist. Either way, it's sort of a different reason that they're racist, right? If they're trying to put them down, then it's racist. But if they believe that they can't come out of it, then it's also racist, too, in my opinion. If you read enough Dinesh D'Souza books... Uh you know, he'll kind of put where he thinks their party is, you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, Thomas Sowell, you know, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it's hard to argue that they're not holding minorities down. You look at, look at liberal cities, for example, you look at Baltimore, you look at Chicago, you look at Detroit, look at Memphis, you know, look at Washington, DC, Muriel Bowser, what an, what an insane, uh, horrible job she's done for that city. Uh, but you know, the worst cities in America are ran by Democrats and have been for decades. Um, it's just sad. And, you know, it's the definition of insanity. You know, if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, that's what ha- that's what these people are doing in these in these cities. And, and yeah, but and, the Democrats do the same thing over and over again, expecting to get reelected. They don't yeah. care about the damn result. Right. And, and, and sadly enough, the people in those districts keep reelecting them because they, they are hit at an early age. You vote Democrat. Republicans are racist. Don't vote for these guys. Vote for these guys. They care about you. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, generation after generation grows up in the projects. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's, it's really sad what they've done, what the Democratic Party has done to minorities in this country. So what's going to happen? We'll, we'll leave on what's going to happen in, in 2022. And ultimately, what do you think we need needs to be our first priority? Oh, man, I'm going to have this will be unpopular. I think you and I are probably on the same page. from talking. Go for it. <laughs> a blast, man. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Fun. Uh, and, you, and you probably already knew that from, you know, what, what, what our mindsets were. I don't think Donald Trump needs to run in 2024, uh, but we're, we're going to we'll talk 2022. I think it needs to be Ron DeSantis. That's my personal opinion in 2024. As far as 2022 goes, um, my concern with Donald Trump right now is that he is endorsing many people that really have no business being endorsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's endorsed certain people 
Like he endorsed John Bozeman, a U.S. senator here in Arkansas, who literally stood on the Senate floor and chastised him about January 6th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I, I don't necessarily think it's Donald Trump, but I think that the, the inner circle of those people advising him are very dangerous to 2022. And that's why you got people like myself uh, and, and my group, you know, that are at Pastor Gibson and Pastor Locke and Pastor Burns and, and, and others out there. Kenny Lee on my team that are working hard. Uh, Sean George is a founder of Beard Bet. You know, we're all working hard to get these, you know, to get dozens of candidates to primary the rhinos. I think it's very scary um, you know, the, whoever's advising President Trump is advising him to endorse some of these people that don't really have America first principles. They, you know, they're, they're establishment shills and, and it's very concerning. Um, mm-hmm. We need more Marjorie Taylor Greens. We need more Lauren Bobert's. You know, we need more uh, younger, vibrant, you know, candidates in office in our party. And uh, I'll just, I'll just throw this one at you and, and get your opinion on it. I mean, it's your show. I'm, I'm used to hosting too. So I'm sure. Just sure. <laughs> I don't know how we continue to, to win seats if we continue to elect nothing or, or, or put in place, I should say, nothing but 60, 60 65 and up year old white dudes. Now, mm-hmm. I'm a white guy. I guess I can get by with saying that. But my point is, you know, we need more female candidates. We don't have a party that relates to the suburban mom. We don't have a party that relates to suburban women. We have seen that in the polling numbers, you know, and also we're not relating to Christians. You know, a huge chunk of evangelicals and Christians stayed home in 2020 and didn't vote. A lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've got to get more female candidates, more minority candidates, more young candidates. That's the way you energize the base. That's the way you pull more female voters. It's the way you pull more minority voters. And if our party doesn't start to embrace that, Chase, I think we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the problems with our system is that even once you're elected, you're, you're, you're dependent on party leader, leaders in terms of what committees you get placed on, right? And that causes a lot of people um, with good intentions to sell out very quickly to the, the, the mean of the party or the average of the party. And I don't know if there's any way that we could, we could change that. Um, so that's not the case, but you know, instances like Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene getting stripped of all her committee placements and stuff like that, like that's very that really undermines her constituents. And you could say that it's her fault because of certain inflammatory things that she's said or claims that she's made. I don't know, uh, but regardless, to me, it seems ridiculous that the um, that there's so much power placed in party leaders in terms of who serves on what committees. I, I, I agree with that, and I think you know Mitch McConnell has to go immediately. I don't, I, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. I don't know why the GOP has not pushed to put a Rand Paul or a Ted Cruz, you know, mm-hmm. uh, somebody stronger in that place. Same thing. Kevin McCarthy is a joke. I'm not a fan. I, I think you need a, a Jim Jordan. You need a Devin Nunez. It is time to push these people who actually fight with their constituents and fight for America into these leadership positions. We don't need any more Kevin McCarthy's. We don't need any more Mitch McConnell's. We need some fresh blood in, in, the, uh, in the chambers. Well, I tell you what, it's been great having you on the show. I appreciate you uh, coming on. And uh, this was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it, brother. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll end here and I'll, uh, I'll send you a, a DM as soon as everything's uploaded for you to take a look at. Sounds great, man. Thank you, sir. All right, man. Take care. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck.